Book One, Chapter Three of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Charlestown. Down and down we went, crossing great rivers by ford and ferry, until the hills flattened themselves and the country became a long stretch of level, broken by the forest only and i saw many things i had not thought were on the earth once in a while i caught a glimpse of great red houses with stately pillars among the trees they put me in mind of the palaces in bunyan their windows all golden in the morning sun and as we jogged ahead i pondered on the delights within them i saw gangs of negroes plodding to work along the road an overseer riding behind them with his gun on his back and there were whole cotton fields in these domains blazing in primrose flower a new plant here so my father said he was willing to talk on such subjects but on others and especially our errand to charlestown he would say nothing and i knew better than to press him one day as we were crossing a dyke between rice swamps spread with delicate green i saw the white tops of wagons flashing in the sun at the far end of it we caught up with them the wagoners cracking their whips and swearing at the straining horses and lo in front of the wagons was an army at least my boyish mind magnified it to such men clad in homespun perspiring and spattered with mud were straggling along the road by fours laughing and joking together the officers rode and many of these had blue coats and buff waistcoats some the worst for wear my father was pushing the white mare into the ditch to ride by when one hailed him hello my man said he are you a friend to congress i'm off to charlestown to leave the lad said my father and then to fight the cherokees good said the other and then where are you from upper yadkin answered my father and you the officer who was a young man looked surprised but then he laughed pleasantly we're north carolina troops going to join lee in charlestown said he the british are sending a fleet and regiments against it oh ay said my father and would have passed on but he was made to go before the colonel who plied him with many questions then he gave us a paper and dismissed us we pursued our journey through the heat that shimmered up from the road pausing now and again in the shade of a wayside tree at times i thought i could bear the sun no longer but towards four o'clock of that day a great bank of yellow cloud rolled up darkening the earth save for a queer saffron light that stained everything and made our very faces yellow and then a wind burst out of the east with a high mournful note as from a great flute afar filling the air with leaves and branches of trees but it bore too a savor that was new to me a salt savor deep and fresh that i drew down into my lungs and i knew that we were near the ocean then came the rain in great billows as though the ocean itself were upon us the next day we crossed a ferry on the ashley river and rode down the sand of charlestown neck and my most vivid remembrance is of the great trunks towering half a hundred feet in the air with a tassel of leaves at the top 
which my father said were palmettos something lay heavy upon his mind for i had grown to know his moods by a sort of silent understanding and when the roofs and spires of the town shone over the foliage in the afternoon sun i felt him give a great sigh that was like a sob and how shall i describe the splendor of that city the sandy streets and the gardens of flower and shade heavy with plant odors and the great houses with their galleries and porticoes set in the midst of the gardens that i remember staring at wistfully that before long we came to a barricade fixed across the street and then to another and presently in an open space near a large building was a company of soldiers at drill it did not strike me as strange then that my father asked his way of no man but went to a little ordinary in a humbler part of town after a modest meal in the corner of the public room we went out for a stroll then from the wharves i saw the bay dotted with islands their white sand sparkling in the evening light and fringed with strange trees and beyond of a deepening blue the ocean and nearer greatest of all delights to me riding on the swell was a fleet of ships my father gazed at them long and silently his palm over his eyes men o war from the old country lad he said after a while they're a brave sight and why are they here i asked they've come to fight said he and take the town again for the king it was twilight when we turned to go and then i saw that many of the warehouses along the wharves were heaps of ruins my father said this was that the town might be the better defended we bent our way towards one of the sandy streets where the great houses were and to my surprise we turned in at a gate and up a path leading to the high steps of one of these under the high portico the door was open but the house within was dark my father paused and the hand he held to mine trembled then he stepped across the threshold and raising the big polished knocker that hung on the panel let it drop the sound reverberated through the house and then stillness and then from within a shuffling sound and an old negro came to the door for an instant he stood staring through the dusk and broke into a cry mars alec he said is your master at home said my father without another word he led us through a deep hall and out into a gallery above the trees of a back garden where a gentleman sat smoking a long pipe the old negro stopped in front of him marsh john said he his voice shaking here's marsh alec done come back the gentleman got to his feet with a start his pipe fell to the floor and the ashes scattered on the boards and lay glowing there alec he cried peering into my father's face alec you're not dead john said my father and we talk here good god said the gentleman you're just the same to think of it to think of it read a light in the drawing-room there was no word spoken while the negro was gone and the time seemed very long but at length he returned a silver candlestick in each hand careful cried the gentleman petulantly you'll drop them 
he led the way into the house and through the hall to a massive door of mahogany with a silver doorknob the grandeur of the place awed me and well it might boylike i was absorbed in this our little mountain cabin would almost have gone into this one room the candles threw their flickering rays upward until they danced on the high ceiling marvel of marvels in the oval left clear by the heavy rounded cornice was a picture the negro set down the candles on the marble top of the table but the air of the room was heavy and close and the gentleman went to a window and flung it open it came down instantly with a crash so that the panes rattled again curse these rebels he shouted they've taken our window weights to make bullets calling to the negro to pry open the window with a walking stick he threw himself into a big upholstered chair twas then i remarked the splendor of his clothes which were silk and he wore a waistcoat all sewed with flowers with a boy's intuition i began to dislike him intensely damn the rebels he began they've driven his lordship away i hope his majesty will hang every mother's son of em all pleasure of life is gone and they've folly enough to think they can resist the fleet and the worst of it is cried he the worst of it is i'm forced to smirk to them and give my good gold to their government seeing that my father did not answer he asked have you joined the highlanders you're always for fighting i'm to be at cherokee ford on the twentieth said my father we're to scalp the redskins and cameron though tis not known cameron shrieked the gentleman but that's the other side man against his majesty one side or t'other said my father tis all one against alec cameron the gentleman looked at my father with something like terror in his eyes you'll never forgive cameron he said i'll no forgive anybody who does me a wrong said my father where have you been all these years alec he asked presently since you went off with i've been in the mountains leading a pure life said my father and will speak of nothing if you please that's gone by and what will you have me do said the gentleman hopelessly little enough said my father keep the lad till i come again he's quiet he'll no trouble you greatly davy this is mr temple you're to stay with him till i come again come here lad said the gentleman and he peered into my face you'll not resemble your mother he'll resemble no one said my father shortly good-bye davy keep this till i come again and he gave me the parcel made of my mother's gown then he lifted me in his strong arms and kissed me and strode out of the house we listened in silence as he went down the steps and until his footsteps died away on the path then the gentleman rose and pulled a cord hastily the negro came in but the lad the bad breed said he where sir oh anywhere said the master he turned to me i'll be better able to talk to you in the morning david said he i followed the old servant up the great stairs gulping down a sob that would rise and clutching my mother's gown tight under my arm had my father left me alone in our cabin for a fortnight i should not have minded but here in this strange house amid such strange surroundings i was heartbroken the old negro was very kind 
he led me into a little bedroom and placing the candle on the polished dresser he regarded me with sympathy so you's miss lisbeth boy said he and she did and marse alec rough and hard as though he'd been born in the woods honey old breed'll take care of you i'll get you one of them night rails marse nick has and some of his clothes in the morning those things i remember and likewise sobbing myself to sleep in the four-poster often since i have wished that i had questioned breed of many things on which i had no curiosity then for he was my chief companion in the weeks that followed he awoke me bright and early the next day here's some clothes old marsh nicks you can wear honey he said who is master nick i asked breed slapped his thigh marsh nick temple master's son he's about your size but he ain't no more like you than a jackrabbit's like an owl they ain't none like marsh nick for getting into trouble and getting out again where is he now i asked he at temple bow on the ashley river that's the marsh barony is what the place where he live at in the country and why isn't the master there i remember that bree gave me a wink and led me out of the window on to a gallery above the one where we had found the master the night before he pointed across the dense foliage of the garden to a strip of water gleaming in the morning sun beyond see dat boat said the negro sometimes de massa he take a ride on dat boat at night sometimes gentlemen comes here in a powerful hurry to get away out in de harbor where de english is at by that time i was dressed and marvelously uncomfortable in master nick's clothes but as i was going out of the door breed hailed me marse dave it was the first time i had been called that marse dave you ain't gwineter tell tell what i asked bout in de boat and massa gwine away nights no said i indignantly i knowed you weren't said breed you don't look as if you'd tell anything we found the master pacing the lower gallery at first he barely glanced at me and nodded after a while he stopped and began to put to me many questions about my life when and how i had lived and to some of my answers he explained good god that was all he was a handsome man with hands like a woman's well set off by the lace at his sleeves he had fine-cut features and the white linen he wore was most becoming david said he at length and i noted that he lowered his voice david you seem a discreet lad pay attention to what i tell you and mark if you disobey me you will be well whipped you had this home and garden to play in but you are by no means to go out the front of the house and whatever you say or hear you are to tell no one you understand yes sir i said for the rest said he breed will give you food and look out for your welfare and so he dismissed me they were lonely days after that for a boy used to activity and only the damp garden paths and lawns to run on the creek at the back of the garden was stagnant and marshy when the water fell and overhung by leafy boughs on each side of the garden was a high brick wall and though i was often tempted to climb it i felt that disobedience was disloyalty to my father then there was the great house dark and lonely in its magnificence 
over which I roamed until I knew every corner of it. I was most interested at all of the pictures of men and women in quaint old-time costumes, and I used during the great heat of the day to sit in the drawing-room and study these, and wonder who they were and when they lived. Another amusement I had was to climb into the deep windows and peer through the blinds across the front garden into the street. Sometimes men stopped and talked loudly there, and again a rattle of drums would send me running to see the soldiers. I recall that I had a poor enough notion of what the fighting was all about, and no wonder, but I remember chiefly my insatiable longing to escape from this prison, as the great house soon became for me. And I yearned with a yearning I cannot express for our cabin in the woods and the old life there. I caught glimpses of the master on occasions only, and then I avoided him, for I knew he had no wish to see me. Sometimes he would be seated in the gallery, tapping his foot on the floor, and sometimes pacing the garden walks with his hands opening and shutting. And one night I awoke with a start, and lay for a while listening until I heard something like a splash and the scraping of the bottom boards of a boat. Irresistibly I jumped out of bed, and running to the gallery rail, I saw two dark figures moving among the leaves below. The next morning I came suddenly on a strange gentleman in the gallery. He wore a flowered dressing-gown like the one I had seen on the master, and he had a jolly round face. I stopped and stared. "'Who the devil are you?' said he, but not unkindly. "'My name's David Trimble,' said I, and I come from the mountains.' He laughed. "'Mr. David Trimble from the mountains. Who the devil am I?' "'I don't know, sir.' And I started to go away, not wishing to disturb him. "'Avast!' he cried. "'Stand fast. See that you remember that.' "'I'm not here of my free will, sir, but because my father wishes it and I'll betray nothing. Then he stared at me. How old did you say you were? he demanded. I didn't say, said I. And you of Scotch descent, said he. I didn't say so, sir. You're a rum one, said he, laughing again, and he disappeared into the house. That day, when Breed brought me my dinner on my gallery, he did not speak of a visitor. You may be sure I did not mention the circumstance. But Breed always told me the outside news. "'Dey's getting ready for a big fight, Marse Dave,' said he. "'Mr. Moultrie and the foe in the bay, and Marse General Lee trying for to boss him. This rebels, and Marse Admiral Parker and the King Regiment fixing for to take the foe in Din Charleston. They say Mr. Moultrie ain't got no more chance than a treed possum. Why, Breed?' i asked i had heard my father talk of england's power and might and mr moultrie seemed to me a very brave man in his little fort why exclaimed the old negro you ain't never read no history books i know some of the gentlemen with mr moultrie they ain't no soldiers some is fine gentlemen to be sir but it's just foolishness to fight the fleet and army massa general lee himself he does say so i heard him and he's on mr moultrie's side i asked surely said breed he's the rebels general then he's a knave and a coward i cried with a boy's indignation 
where did you hear him say that i demanded incredulous of some of breed's talk right here in this house he answered and quickly clapped his hand to his mouth and showed the whites of his eyes you ain't a gwine to tell that marse dave of course not said i and then i wish i could see mr moultrie and his fort and the fleet ah honey so you can said breed the good-natured negro dropped his work and led the way upstairs i following expectant to the attic a rickety ladder rose to a kind of tower cupola i suppose it would be called whence the bay spread out before me like a picture the white islands edged with the whiter lacing of the waves there indeed was the fleet but far away like toy ships on the water and the bit of a fort perched on the sandy edge of an island i spent most of the day there watching anxiously for some movement but none came that night i was again awakened and running into the gallery i heard quick footsteps in the garden then there was a lantern's flash a smothered oath and all was dark again but in the flash i had seen distinctly three figures one was breed and he held the lantern another was the master and the third a stout one muffled in a cloak i made no doubt was my jolly friend i lay long awake with a boy's curiosity until presently the dawn broke and i arose and dressed and began to wander about the house no breed was sweeping the gallery nor was there any sign of the master the house was as still as a tomb and the echoes of my footsteps rolled through the halls and chambers at last prompted by curiosity and fear i sought the kitchen where i had often sat with breed as he cooked the master's dinner this was at the bottom and end of the house the great fire there was cold and the pots and pans hung neatly on their hooks untouched that day i was running through the wet garden glad to be out in the light when a sound stopped me it was a dull roar from the direction of the bay almost instantly came another and another and then several broke together and i knew that the battle had begun forgetting for the moment my loneliness i ran into the house and up the stairs two at a time and up the ladder into the cupola where i flung open the casement and leaned out there was the battle indeed a sight so vivid to me after all these years that i can call it again before me when i will the toy men-o-war with sails set ranging in front of the fort they looked at my distance to be pressed against it white puffs like cotton balls would dart one after another from a ship's side melt into a cloud float over her spars and hide her from my view and then presently the roar would reach me and the answering puffs along the line of the fort and i could see the mortar shells go up and up leaving a scorched trail behind curve in a great circle and fall upon the little garrison mr moultrie became a real person to me then a vivid picture in my boyish mind a hero beyond all other heroes as the sun got up in the heavens and the wind fell the cupola became a bake oven but i scarcely felt the heat my whole soul was out in the bay pent up with the men in the fort how long could they hold out why were they not all killed by the shot that fell like a hail among them yet puff after puff sprang from their guns 
and the sound of it was like a storm coming nearer in the heat. But at noon it seemed to me as though some of the ships were sailing. It was true. Slowly they drew away from the others, and presently I thought they had stopped again. Surely two of them were stuck together. Then three were fast on a shoal. Boats, like black bugs in the water, came and went between them and the others. After a long time the two that were together got apart and away, but the third stayed there, immovable, helpless. Throughout the afternoon the fight kept on, the little black boats coming and going. I saw a mast totter and fall on one of the ships. I saw the flag shot away from the fort and reappear again. But now the puffs came from her walls slowly and more slowly, so that my heart sank with the setting sun, and presently it grew too dark to see aught save the red flashes. Slowly, reluctantly, the noise died down until at last a great silence reigned, broken only now and again by voices in the streets below me. It was not until then that I realized that I had been all day without food, that I was alone in the dark of a great house. I had never known fear in the woods at night, but now I trembled as I felt my way down the ladder and groped and stumbled through the black attic for the stairs. Every noise I made seemed louder and hundredfold than the battle had been, and when I barked my shins the pain was sharper than a knife. Below, on the big stairway, the echo of my footsteps sounded again from the empty rooms, so that I was taken with a panic and fled downward, sliding and falling until I reached the hall. Frantically as I tried, I could not unfasten the bolts on the front door, and so, running into the drawing-room, I pried open the window and set me down in the embrasure to think and to try to quiet the thumpings of my heart. By degrees I succeeded. The still air of the night and the heavy, damp odors of the foliage helped me, and I tried to think what was right for me to do. I had promised the master not to leave the place, and that promise seemed in pledge to my father. Surely the master would come back, or read. They would not leave me here alone without food much longer. Although I was young, I was brought up to responsibility, and I inherited a conscience that has since given me much trouble. From these thoughts, trying enough for a starved lad, I fell to thinking of my father on the frontier fighting the Cherokees, and so I dozed away to dream of him. I remember that he was skinning Cameron. I had often pictured it, and Cameron yelling, when I was awakened with a shock by a great noise. I listened with my heart in my throat. The noise seemed to come from the hall, a prodigious pounding. Presently it stopped, and the man's voice cried out, Oh, there, within! My first impulse was to answer, but fear kept me still. Batter down the door, someone shouted. There was the sound of shuffling in the portico and the same voice. Now then, all together, lads. Then came a straining and splitting of wood and with a crash the door gave way. A lantern's rays shot through the hall. The house is as dark as a tomb, said a voice. And as empty, I reckon, said another. John Temple and his spy have got away. We'll have to search, answered the first voice. They stood for a moment in the drawing-room door, peering. 
and then they entered there were five of them two looked to be gentlemen and three were of rougher appearance they carried lanterns that window's open said one of the gentlemen they must have been here to-day hello what's this he started back in surprise i slid down from the window seat and stood facing them not knowing what else to do they too seemed equally confounded it must be temple's son said one at last i had thought the family at temple bow what's your name my lad david trimble sir said i what are you doing here he asked more sternly i was left in mr temple's care by my father oh ho he cried and where is your father he's gone to fight the cherokees i answered soberly to skin a man named cameron at that they were silent for an instant and then the two broke into a laugh egad lowndes said the gentleman here's a fine mystery do you think the boy is lying the other gentleman scratched his forehead i'll have you know i don't lie sir i said ready to cry no said the other gentleman a backwoodsman named trimble went to rutledge with credentials from north carolina and has gone off to cherokee ford to join mccall bless my soul exclaimed the first gentleman he came up and laid his hand on my shoulder and said where is mr temple that i don't know sir when did he go away i did not answer at once that i can't tell you sir was there anyone with him that i can't tell you sir the devil you can't he cried taking my hand away and why not i shook my head sorely beset come matthews cried the gentleman called lowndes we'll search first and attend to the lad after and so they began going through the house prying into every cupboard and sweeping under every bed they even climbed to the attic and noting the open casement in the cupola mr lowndes said someone's been here to-day it was i sir i said i've been here all day and what doing pray he demanded watching the battle and oh sir i cried can you tell me whether mr moultrie beat the british he did so cried mr lowndes he did and soundly he stared at me i must have looked my pleasure why david says he you are a patriot too i'm a rebel sir i cried hotly both gentlemen laughed again and the men with them the lad is a character said mr lowndes we made our way down into the garden which they searched last at the creek side the boat was gone and there were footsteps in the mud the bird has flown lowndes said mr matthews and good riddance for the committee answered that man heartily he got to the fleet in fine season to get a round shot in the middle david said he solemnly remember it never pays to try to be two things at once i'll warrant he stayed below water said mr matthews but what shall we do with the lad i'll take him to my house for the night said mr lowndes and in the morning we'll talk to him i reckon he should be sent to temple bow he is connected in some way with the temples god help him if he goes there said mr matthews under his breath but i heard him they locked up the house and left one of the men to guard it while i went with mr lowndes to his residence i remember that people were gathered in the streets as we passed making merry 
and that they greeted Mr. Lowndes with respect and good cheer. His house, too, was set in a garden, and quite as fine as Mr. Temple's. It was ablaze with candles, and I caught glimpses of fine gentlemen and ladies in the rooms. But he hurried me through the hall and into a little chamber at the rear, where a writing desk was set. He turned and faced me. "'You must be tired, David,' he said. I nodded. "'And hungry? Boys are always hungry.' "'Yes, sir. You had no dinner?' "'No, sir,' I answered, off my guard. "'Mercy,' he said. "'It's a long time since breakfast.' "'I had no breakfast, sir. Good God!' he said, and pulled the velvet handle of a cord. A negro came. "'Is the supper for the guests ready?' "'Yes, sir. "'Then bring as much as you can carry here.' said the gentleman, and ask Mrs. Lowndes if I may speak with her. Mrs. Lowndes came first, and such a fine lady she was that she frightened me, this being my first experience with ladies. But when Mr. Lowndes told her my story, she ran to me impulsively and put her arms about me. Poor lad, she said, what a shame. I think that the tears came then, but it was small wonder. There were tears in her eyes, too. Such a supper as I had I shall never forget, and she sat beside me for long, neglecting her guests and talking of my life. Suddenly she turned to her husband, calling him by name. He's Alec Ritchie's son, she said, and Alec has gone against Cameron. Mr. Lowndes did not answer, but nodded. And he must go to Temple Bow? my dear said mr lowndes i fear it is our duty to send him there End of chapter three